You're listening to Seven Churches, a teaching series at Shoreline Church with Pastor Pilgrim Benham. For more content, visit thisisshoreline.com. We are going to dive in this morning, Revelation chapter 3. I want you for a minute, as we open the text this morning, to imagine the shock that you would feel being told that your son or brother had been shot and that they had died. Just picture your son or your brother, and you get news, you get word that that they've been shot, they're dead. The grief, the, the anger, the loss, it'd be unforgettable. Imagine the sorrow that you would feel at the viewing or what some people call the wake, uh, the funeral, when you and your loved ones gather together to pay your last respects and then say some final words to uh, or about that beloved brother or son. Okay, I want you to just picture what that would have looked like. Some of you can picture because you've experienced that. But imagine the horror and confusion that would grip you if you were viewing his body in the casket and suddenly he came walking into the funeral wake through the back door to the surprise and shock and and horror of everyone. Very much alive, not dead. That's exactly what happened a few years ago in Brazil. Here's how the headline reads. I'm just gonna read it to you. Man walks into own funeral in Brazil. Uh, The family of a Brazilian man, 41, were shocked and some fainted when he walked into his own funeral. The bizarre case of mistaken identity occurred last Sunday when Jose Marcos Arrua heard news circulating in the town that a car washer had been shot dead and his body was at the morgue. The Associated Press reports that it was assumed it was his brother, Jose. Police called my husband and told him that his brother had been killed and his body was at the morgue, Jose Marcos's wife, Anna, told the internet news portal. According to police, the two men at the car washers resembled each other and they both worked at the same car wash. A Mail Online said a few hours before the Monday burial that a friend of Gilberto's saw him walking down the street and told him that his family was mourning his death. He then rushed to his funeral to explain the mix-up and according to reports, some people passed out while others ran away. Gilberto's mother, Marina Santana, said, I am overjoyed. What mother wouldn't be after being told that her son is dead and then sees him alive? Isn't that crazy? That actually happened a few years ago. There are some who have the reputation of being dead, but they're very much alive. But in the case of the church of Sardis, they had a reputation of being alive, and yet they were very much dead. In our seven church series, Jesus has a specific word for seven different churches. Uh, And as we've been unpacking these seven letters, we've discovered an outline that helps us to break down each of these messages. So here's the outline for you this morning. We're going to look at each one of these. We're going to look at a city that Jesus is speaking to, speaking to the church that meets in that city. Then he references a characteristic of Christ that goes back to chapter one. This is who's speaking, who's addressing. He has all these attributes in chapter one, but he's referring back to some of them. Then with most of the letters, there's a commendation, there's a thumbs up, right? And then there's a criticism, a thumbs down. These are things that we're not happy about. Then there's a correction because, listen, Jesus doesn't just criticize you and leave you. He wants to correct you. And then finally, there's a crown. There's a reward for the ones who will listen to what he says and overcome. So we're going to look at Revelation 3, 1 through 6, the church of Sardis. Look at verse 1. It says, and to the angel of the church in Sardis. In Sardis. We want to begin this morning by looking 
at the city of Sardis. Uh, Sardis was located about 60 miles inland and over 30 miles from Smyrna and Thyatira. Um, It was the capital of the ancient empire of Lydia. This was a city of great wealth and great fame. Um, Sardis sat inland in the Hermes Valley on a very important highway that connected uh, the interior country uh, to the rest of the Aegean coast. So as a city, Sardis uh, was very known for textile exports, uh, most notably their wool and their clothing. They're also known for gold, but nobody wears gold except in earrings. And so what made Sardis most important, though, was its military strength. I want to show you a picture. There it is there of the Acropolis, that's kind of all that's left. And you'll notice this sheer precipice, this cliff, that seemed to be unscalable. And so this began as kind of the the original city, the Acropolis, and then it, it slowly began to grow down into the valley. But this was the military stronghold, high up on a mountain, and what many believed, impregnable. There's no way you can scale that uh, cliff. And so not only was it considered an unbeatable military stronghold, but not only that, Sardis, had a sultry history with idol worship, Uh, always known for worshiping the god or goddess of nature. And when Rome introduced their gods, Artemis, the goddess of nature, became kind of their patron god. In fact, there was about the fourth largest temple to Artemis in the ancient world, still well-preserved in Sardis. So even today, they're continuing to do excavation. So if you went there today on a tour, they would say, okay, here's the leftovers of the large Jewish synagogue a large population in Sardis, they would say, hey, here's the bathhouses. These were, these were important. Uh, here's the stadium. Here are the aqueducts, other civic buildings. Um, eventually, changing hands, Sardis fell to the Roman Empire. And when John received the revelation here uh, in Revelation 3, Sardis was rebuilding. Why were they rebuilding? Because in AD 17, there was a huge, devastating earthquake that um, wrecked the city. And so they had to get lots of assistance from Rome during that time but even after that, never really rebuilt. Uh, We're gonna see why that stronghold is important in just a minute. So um, there's the city. Let's look at the characteristic of Christ. It says the rest of verse one, this is Jesus, says these things says he, or says I, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven spirits of God. Now someone here this morning is thinking, wait a minute, there are seven spirits? There's seven Holy Spirits? I'm a little confused, I thought there was one spirit. You're not incorrect. Uh, Ephesians 4.4 tells us there's one body and there's one spirit. There's not two church bodies. There's not two Holy Spirits. There's one body, one spirit. Okay, that's straightforward enough. So what is this referring to? Why does Jesus say, I have the seven spirits of God? Well, a lot of people believe that he's referring back to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verse two, gives us seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. It says it's the spirit first of the Lord, of Jehovah. You see the capital L-O-R-D. That's the name of God. It's God's spirit. And then notice number two, the spirit of wisdom. Number three, of understanding. Number four, the spirit of counsel. Number five, of power. He's number six, the spirit of knowledge. And number seven, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Uh, And so a lot of people believe that it's referring back to Isaiah, but Not only that, the number seven in scripture is the number of completion, the number of perfection. Uh, You might wanna write that down. Every time you see seven, it's a picture of fullness. And so God's spirit is one, but God's spirit is full and complete, full wisdom, full understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, fear of the Lord. Not in my notes this morning, but 
Are you relying on the wisdom of the Holy Spirit? He has all that you need. He has all the knowledge and counsel and might and power. Are you relying on your own strength, like I do, too often rather than relying on the counsel and power of the Spirit? Well, not only that, but, but Jesus said in John 4, 24, that God himself, he is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So God is not a physical being of matter and material, but a spiritual being. What does that mean for us this morning? That means that he looks beyond the physical. He looks beyond the reputation and beyond what people look at. Man, we hear about in the Old Testament, looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That was the first verse my mom taught me when I was a little four-year-old. She taught me, hey, man doesn't look at the outward, but or man looks at the outward, God looks on the heart. She taught me that because my little sister, Grace, was born deformed. My little sister uh, had kind of physical deformities. She lived about six months. And people would come and they would wanna see her in the stroller and they'd go up and they'd look at her and they would pull away, uh, which you usually don't do. You usually wanna see a cute baby. And she, she had all these deformities. And so I guess apparently we were in the mall one day and this lady went, oh, what happened to her? And I just smiled, little four-year-old me, smiled and looked up at her and said, it's okay. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And she kind of was like, wow. Uh, and so that was the first verse that I uh, came to understood. God looks beyond what we see. He looks beyond the physical. He sees the spiritual. He has spiritual discernment, spiritual wisdom, spiritual eyes that see beyond what we seem to be offering this morning. God is spirit. And this morning, he can discern and know who we really are. You know, we put up the face and the facade, and we look great. You guys look great today. But see, the Lord, by his spirit, sees our hearts. And he desires, according to Jesus, spiritual and true worship. Not carnal, not phony. Uh, so look at the next part of verse one. Uh, Jesus identifies himself as the one who holds the seven stars. That's the church. He's there intimate with the church. He has the spirit. And notice what he says to them. Here is what should be, right, the commendation. That's where we should be in our outline. So he says this, I know your works. Oh, good. He knows my works. Notice what he says next that you have a name, oh, we have a name, that you are alive. Yes, yes, we are, we have a name. Everyone knows our name. We're famous, we just sang about a famous one. We're famous, we've got a good name. We have a good reputation, but notice what he says next. You have a name that you're alive, but what does he say? You are what? What is it, say it louder. You are dead. Wait a minute, wait, hold on. Wait, hold on, where's the commendation? I thought with every church we have a commendation, then a criticism. Where's Jesus' word of commendation to Sardis? There is none. Why? Listen, because God can't and he won't compliment dead works. He says, I know your deeds. And we might think, well, there's a compliment, but in a better translation, here's what it says on the screen. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. God knew all that they were doing. He knew about their reputation. See, there is a difference between their reputation and their reality. Uh, the difference between reputation and reality. Would you, if you're taking notes, write those two things down? Reputation and reality. Reputation and reality. In every election cycle, there are people that spin and pundits, and there's those guys that take polls. They exit polls. And so when you come out from the voting booth, they say, hey, who'd you vote for? And, and depending on who's listening, you either say, I'm not going to tell you, or I voted this way or that way. And so um, there is something with voting called the Bradley effect. And this is very interesting. The Bradley effect is the difference between who people say they're voting for and who they actually voted for. 
Uh, it was actually named after Tom Bradley. He was a, a, a Los Angeles mayor. And in the 82 election, uh, he was running for governor and he was projected to win. All the polls said, Tom Bradley's gonna win. He's got this in the bag. He's definitely gonna win. What ended up happening was that the people who said they were gonna vote for him didn't. Why is that? Well, the truth of the matter is that they wanted to appear as if they were voting for him, something that psychologists or sociologists call social desirability bias. They wanted to be fitting in with the culture but not really share what their true thoughts were. Here's why that's insightful. See, Tom Bradley, the mayor, was black. And some white voters didn't wanna say, I'm voting for him. And because they needed, or they did wanna say, I voted for him. They didn't wanna look like they were racist. And so they said, well, yeah, I voted for him, but they didn't vote for him. It was this Bradley effect. They felt that if I say that I didn't vote for him, it's gonna open me up to racial uh, like criticism. And so the Bradley effect is when the public will feel this pressure to say, I voted for this person or I didn't vote for that person. That absolutely happened in the 2016 between Trump and Hillary. A lot of people came out of the exit polls and they didn't wanna say, I voted for Trump or I voted for Hillary. And so they actually gave either a false response or a non-response. So it's generally understood that the Bradley effect is the difference between reputation, I wanna keep my reputation with everyone in the culture, and reality, that's not what you really did, that's not who you voted for. The church in Sardis had a reputation of being hardworking and vibrant and alive, but Jesus says, no, 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 let me take your pulse, you're dead. And sometimes with us as well, the same diagnosis can be given to us. Chuck Swindoll said, the church at Sardis was a morgue with a steeple. Vance Havner said, she had it all in the store window, but there was nothing in stock. Our reputation versus our reality. Even with you, you here this morning, you may have a reputation, but is that really what the reality of your life is? Some of you have marriages that look very healthy and strong. Reputation of being one way. But what is the reality? Do you love one another? Are you submitted to your husband? Do you care and love your wife? Is there respect for one another? You may have a reputation this morning, you're a strong Christian and everyone looks at you with here respect and admiration, but what's the reality? Are you even following Jesus? Is your life lip service or life service? If we followed you this week, not to be awkward or creepy, but if we followed you with a hidden camera, would there be anything in your life that would make us blush? Would there be anything that we would say, that's not reality uh, that matches your reputation? You know, astronomers tell us that the light from certain stars takes years, even decades, to reach the Earth. And what that means is a star could have died and been plunged into darkness years ago but its light was still coming to earth. It'd be shining in the sky as bright as our stars do, uh, but it had died long ago. Uh, the church at Sardis was like that. It had a name, and the name appeared to say it's alive. People would say, I go to the church of Sardis, and they'd say, oh, you've got a vibrant church. Uh, but it was shining solely by the light of its brilliant past. It was presently dead. Church, are we at Shoreline alive? Or are we dead? Are we, are we able to even ask ourselves that question this morning? Are we a church that is presently alive? I think we should ask that question every day. We should ask that question of ourselves this morning personally. Am I alive in the Lord or am I dead? And Jesus says you look alive, but you're actually dead. Let's think about life and death for a minute. And I wanna spend some time on this idea of death and life. There, there are four basic aspects to every living organism, okay? Uh, every living thing is made of smaller cells. Every living thing needs food or some type of 
energy-producing uh, substance from the outside. Everything that's living needs to grow or does grow, and then it reproduces just by the nature of being called alive. It could be said that as a church, if we stopped meeting together in smaller groups, uh, if we no longer relied on the word of God for our, our sustenance, our spiritual nourishment, if we're not growing in our faith and we're not reproducing in other ministries or churches, then we could start seeing a deadening effect in our ministry. Let's see a show of hands. This is a little bit awkward question to ask. Have you ever been a part of a dead church or a dying church? Okay. And if, if yeah, that's, that's a hard thing to experience, right? But you kind of know when it's taking place. In fact, someone has suggested this, uh, that there are different stages in ministry, that every ministry has a life cycle. And I thought this was very fascinating. You might want to take a picture of this or jot this down. This is amazing. In church history, there seems to be kind of a life cycle of ministries or churches. So it always begins with a man or a woman. It begins with a person. And this man or woman has a ministry, right? They desire to minister to people. Well, then that ministry becomes a method. We go, oh, this is what they did. So now we need to copy what they did. It's a method, which by very nature turns it into what? A mold. We kind of create a mold like you do with your cookie cutter. And we do all the same things and it's branded and packaged. That mold then one day becomes a monument as we look back to the past and not the present. And eventually, over time, that monument will definitely become a mausoleum. It will die. I'll give you an example. Bill Hybels in the ministry of Willow Creek. Great example. Uh, and listen to me to the very end if you love Willow Creek and Bill Hybels. Follow me to the end. Bill Hybels is a great man who had a God-given vision for ministry. He loves Jesus. Okay? He, had a, he had a vision for ministry. But his ministry became a method. And thousands of people got on board this method. It was the seeker church movement. We're gonna, we're gonna make church kind of have innovative worship and uh, really advanced sound and media. You don't use a Bible so people don't get intimidated. And then you have giveaways and money drawings and workout programs and gyms in your church. People ask us, do you have a gym in your church? I'm like, huh, our gym is a church. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and you form cell groups. And the idea was Sunday mornings for the unbeliever. Right, So reach people, evangelism, and then get them to go deeper in their midweek, in the small groups. Right, We have the exact opposite philosophy of ministry here. Church on Sunday mornings for the believer, and then throughout the week we do evangelism. Anyway, um, so the idea began with, with that kind of concept, and uh, people began to see the seeker movement growing, and so every pastor was like, let's follow that. And so that quickly became a method and a mold, and we started copying the seeker church model in Christianity all around the country, all around the world. There are books published. How do you have a seeker church? How do you get more people? How do you grow? And now it's a monument as people look back um, and they say, well, this is all that happened in the past. And Bill Hybels himself recently, no one got the memo, but he recently came out and said, hey, 20 years of this, it's not effective. It, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. We should have had church for the church and made it more deep and more impacting and more biblical and I was wrong for that. He actually came out and said I was wrong, but no one seemed to got the memo. And so I think that we all have a danger of taking a concept, a ministry method, and making it into a mold and pushing that on uh, others. And so there's an article uh, that's entitled, When Does My Church Need Revival? And I thought these are six helpful signs of a church uh, that's in need of revival. If your church is plagued with disagreements, you're in need of revival, you're, you might be dying. If the preaching is ineffective, we may need revival, we might be dying. If it's been a long time since a person was last saved, 
If God's supernatural power is never seen, we're never seeing answered prayer. We're just kind of spinning our wheels. God is not praised regularly. We're just going through the motions. Or no one is being called into God's work. We're not sending anyone or raising anyone up. Now that's scary to me. And Chuck Swindoll actually offers five reasons that a church dies. And I know we're given a lot of these, but I think these are just helpful. Chuck Swindoll says this, if you worship the past, the way we were, the good old days, that can cause you to die. If you have greater concern, I like this, with cosmetics than with character. We just wanna keep up appearances, look good. When there's a love of tradition over a love for Christ. When there's inflexibility and resistance to change. And when we lose the evangelistic and missionary fervor. Wow, leave those up for a minute, guys. In your own life, let's zoom in a little bit from the church gathered to you personally. Where are you at? Is there worship in your own life of the past? You did some great things for God back in the day. But is that all that we have to offer? Is there a greater concern with looking good, keeping up appearances rather than your character? A love of tradition over a love for Christ. An inflexibility to change. Is there maybe a loss of your fervor to go and make disciples? Maybe this morning you're looking back at a missions trip or back at the Jesus movement or maybe, maybe back at a retreat or you look back and say, well, that's when God did something instead of saying today, this is what God is doing today. Well, then if that's so, the next word should be taken to heart. Look at verse two. Jesus says, be watchful. Another translation says, wake up and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. The word perfect is another word for complete. Your, your work isn't done. It's not finished. He says, remember, verse three, therefore how you've received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. If you're taking notes, five corrections. Okay, so I want you to jot these down. Five things that Jesus says to correct this. If you've been a part of a dead church or today, your faith is dead. You're just here and you're like, I'm just dead. Uh, Pastor, I need like, Someone to get some jumper cables, get just clear. I mean, just do it. Like, bring me back to life spiritually. Here's what he would say. First of all, number one, wake up. Jesus says, wake up. Be watchful. Uh, literally, it's awaken and continue to stay awake. A lot of people uh, use an alarm clock. How many of you use an alarm clock to help you wake up in the morning? Alarm clock or alarm. Some of you use your phone, right? So your phone goes off. There's some relaxing music that goes off on your phone, or some of you have the watch, right? The watch actually wakes you up, or you have some type of a, a fitness you know, band, and that kind of taps you and wakes you up. Um, or if you're out east, you have a rooster, all right? And so um, we all have different ways of waking up. And so um, my alarm clock is across my bedroom uh, because I tend to get up early, and if, the, if it's, I tried this, it was right next to my bed, I kind of just start fumbling and hitting stuff. I knock my water over, I'm hitting stuff. I'm trying to turn off the alarm, I hit the snooze button. Okay, good, we're good, we need another hour, right? So I have to put my alarm across the room so I've got to fumble out of bed and then, then hit the snooze button. And then I'm like, well, I'm up this far. I Man, I might as well just you know, get up for Christ. Uh, and so it's hard, right? Um, Jesus says to the church, wake up, wake up. Keith Green wrote some powerful lyrics, one of my favorite songwriters. In one of his songs, he sang these powerful words. He said, the world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight. Why? Because it's asleep in the light. 
Jesus rose from the dead and you, you can't even get out of bed. Wow. Why would Jesus employ the words, wake up? Why would Jesus tell the people of Sardis to wake up if they're dead? Doesn't that seem a little bit rude? Hey, wake up. You're talking to a dead body. How do you tell a dead body to wake up? Well, the scriptures tell us, we just read it in Ephesians, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Romans 13, 11 says, besides this, you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The time is now, the hour has come for us to wake. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. There are some in our church that need you to wake up. Hey, husbands, your, your wives, your kids, they need you to wake up. They need you to step up and be the man that God's called you to be. It's time to be the high priest of your home. Man up, step up. It's time to wake up. Uh, ladies, if you've got that friend who's questioning their faith and they're starting to fall into heresy, they're falling into kind of... Uh, uh, like false teaching. You need to wake up and start living and start encouraging them. Uh, there are some who have no knowledge of God. In what ways were the people of Sardis, and what would you say if you lived in Sardis? What Are you a sardine? I don't know. I, I'm from Sard, I'm a Sardis Indian. All right, in what way were they asleep? Uh, Dr. Thomas from the Master Seminary wrote a couple of paragraphs, interesting notes on this concept on the history of the city. Remember I told you? They were impregnable. They had that, that sheer wall. No one could defeat Sardis. And then what Jesus says here, hey, wake up. If you don't wake up, I'm gonna come at an hour you don't expect. Listen to this. This is fascinating. Dr. Thomas, Master Seminary, says, by the middle of the 6th century BC, the city of Sardis attained such a high level of respect that when its downfall came at the hands of a little-known enemy, the Greek cities received the news of it with disbelief. No, no, not Sardis. Despite an alleged warning against self-satisfaction by the Greek god whom he consulted, Croesus, king of Lydia, initiated an attack against Cyrus, king of Persia, but was soundly defeated. Returning to Sardis to recoup and rebuild his army for another attack, he was pursued quickly by Cyrus, who laid siege against Sardis. Croesus felt utterly secure in his impregnable situation because he was atop the Acropolis, 1,500 feet high, and he foresaw an easy victory over the Persians who were cornered among the perpendicular rocks in the lower city, an easy prey for the army to crush, right? We're good. Well, after retiring one evening while the drama in the battle was unfolding, he went to sleep and awakened to discover the Persians had gained control of the Acropolis. How? They had scaled one of the steep walls. This happened in 549 BC. So secure did the Sardians feel they had left the city that this means of access was completely unguarded, permitting the climbers to ascend unobserved. It is said that even a child could have defended the city from this kind of attack just by watching that one area uh, on that side that could have been scaled. But not so much as one observer had been appointed to watch that side because it was believed that it would be inaccessible. And so the city itself was conquered. History repeated itself over three and a half centuries later when Antiochus the Great also conquered Sardis. How? By utilizing the services of one sure-footed mountain climber. And this happened in 195 BC. And they still hadn't learned the lesson after two times. One person says this, although the situation of the city was ideal for defense, 
As it stood high above the valley of Hermas and was surrounded by deep cliffs, almost impossible to scale, Sardis had twice before fallen because of this, overconfidence and a failure to watch. See, that speaks to where the church is at and where you and I may be this morning. Uh, He says, hey, listen, you need to wake up. You need to watch out. You're being overconfident. You're not paying attention. Uh, Two times in their history, they'd been caught napping. And so he says to the church, keep a watchman alert. Don't go to sleep. So he says, wake up. Number two, Jesus says, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. Uh, The word here, strengthen, steriza, means to establish or to stabilize something. The same word Jesus told Peter when he said, hey, Peter, you're gonna deny me, but after you deny me and after you're restored, go and strengthen my brothers. Same word, go strengthen my brothers. Go establish them. Uh, He says, Jesus says, strengthen what remains. What does remain? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that three things remain, faith, hope, and love. He says, these things will remain, They'll remain forever. And so Jesus may be saying here, hey, you've got faith, hope, and love. Those are gonna remain, so strengthen those. How do you strengthen something? You have to use it. You have to exercise it. I've been coming to the gym here lately at the Y, um, and I've found that muscles have one of two reactions. Uh, it's, It's a scientific term, either hypertrophy or atrophy. One of the two. Hypertrophy is basically... Um, the enlargement of muscles due to using them. Obviously, you can see how this works just by looking at me, right? Just hypertrophy. (laughs) Why is that funny? (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's a picture of me working out last week. All right. That's just gross. Take that down. Then there's atrophy, the opposite. When muscles begin to shrink from non-use, your muscles can actually diminish over time by not using them. So how do we strengthen our faith, hope, and love, the things that remain? Well, we exercise it. How's your faith? You trusting God lately? You walking by faith? Can we say right now, at this time, you are walking by faith? Please don't ask me that, because there's moments I'm like, oh, I don't know, it's Tuesday. I don't know if I'm walking by faith. You need to strengthen it. <clears throat> How do you strengthen your hope? Well, you exercise it, living in a world where it seems there's very little hope out there. I was putting my hope in the stock market, and it corrected, right? We put our hope in the Lord, and we trust that God will see us through. How do we strengthen our love? We exercise it not to the lovable, that's easy, but we, we love the unlovable, the people in our life that we're thinking of right now that are getting under our skin and they're frustrating. We've gotta love them, that's exercising love. So to strengthen the little that you have before it atrophies, you need to exercise it or it may die. Thirdly, and notice what Jesus says in verse three, remember, please circle that word, remember. In this case, he says, remember what you were taught, what you received and heard. It's so important if we begin falling asleep spiritually that we look back and remember what we've been taught. For some of us, that means looking at our old journals, our old notes, those Facebook memories. Oh, that's where I was. Going back and listening to old teachings. We have so much um, at our fingertips nowadays with tech that we can go back and we can record things and look back at what we've been taught. Don't forget, remember what you were taught. Uh, And then he says, number four, he says, keep it. He says, hold fast. Don't just remember, but follow what you know. The Lord isn't looking for you to have more information, but transformation, right? You may be able to sit down this morning and explain the four spiritual laws or the finer points of theology, and that's important, but are you walking with Jesus? Information and transformation. You can list a bunch of Bible verses, but are you walking in obedience to those commands? So we need to keep it. We need to hold fast to what we know. And then finally, number five, we just may need to repent. 
Maybe today it's time to stop making excuses and just say, you know what? I need to turn in the other direction and begin living obediently. I've been dead. And it's time today to start walking in life. If we ignore this, what will happen? Notice what happens. He says, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Now that same thing happened to the city on two occasions. So I can assure you the church really would have listened to this council. They would not have ignored it. In fact, the, the name Sardis as a city means escaping ones. It means those who escape. And so these people possibly weren't really having a true relationship with God, but they're just trying to escape the wrath of God through outward works. And God tells them, no, 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 you need to wake up. You need to strengthen what remains. You need to remember what you've learned, keep it, and you need to repent. Now, notice the analogy that Jesus uses about clothing. Remember I told you Sardis was known for wool and clothing uh, as a city. Notice what he says in verse four. He says, hey, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. Very interesting. Sardis was known for linen. They were kind of the king of cotton. And so it's interesting to me that the Lord would point out clothing to them. There's a faithful few there that didn't soil their clothes. They weren't dirtied or defiled by the world. And Jesus says, hey, if that's you, you're gonna walk with me. And you're gonna be dressed in new clothes, white clothing. Uh, white clothing. Why? Because you're worthy. Uh, notice that the crown here is that Jesus would, would clothe these people in white. And not only that, but they would never have their name blotted out from the book of life. Uh, what a wonderful promise. So now I'm gonna be clothed in white, right? And my name's not gonna be blotted out. Now, John MacArthur has some interesting insight on garments. I like this. He said, garments have reference to character. Garments are what clothe a person. In pagan worship, when people went to worship the gods that they ascribed to, they had to put on clean clothes. Historians tell us that it was not uncommon if someone came in to worship a false deity of course, to them it was a true God, but they came in to worship their God. If they had dirty clothes, uh, they wouldn't let them in. He goes on and says, there was a certain kind of proper garment that you had to have even to worship a pagan God. And he is saying to these people, you still can come into the presence of the true God because your garments have not been defiled, smeared, and polluted. In other words, your character, it's still godly. I love that. Not only that, but he says that their names would not be blotted out from the book of life. Okay, wow, so lots of theological debate on this one. You may have read this ahead this week, like, oh, what's the pastor gonna say on this one? And your names can't be blotted out from the book. Does that mean your name could be blotted out from the book of life? Like God has an eraser, and he's got the book of life, and he's like, okay, all right, let me keep an eye on uh, Jason and Narisa and their marriage. Oh, they just really blew it. I'm just gonna erase their name here. Sorry about that. <laughs> Yeah, you're gone. Oh, they, they are walking with me again. Let me write their name back in. Oh, they really messed up. Let me erase it again. Some of us have that impression that God is kind of hanging on our every move, disobedient, obedient. He's got a kind of a cosmic eraser, right? And he's gonna just white us out, okay? Can our names be erased from the book of life? Well, not if the book of life is the list of those who are saved. Jesus said that those who are his, he will in no way cast out. You cannot lose your salvation any more than you can become unborn. We've been born again. We've been sealed with the spirit for the day of redemption. You're not gonna be unsealed and unborn. Jesus bought us with his blood, and so he's not gonna sell us to anyone no matter the price. And we need to know that this morning, if you're truly saved and born again, you're not gonna lose that salvation. So some people believe that 
Everyone's name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Everyone's name. And only those who receive Christ remain there. And that everyone else will have their name blotted out. That's possible. But I believe this is not the list of those who have been given physical life. This isn't really the book of life, by the way. Uh, someone's like, can I get a copy of that? <laughs> I just want to see, like, my brother's in there, right? Okay. Some believe it's not a list of those who've been given physical life, but those who've been given spiritual life. And it's just an assurance. Your name's never going to be blotted out. And so this verse simply reassures us, not saying it's possible that your name could be, but just a reassurance. Remember, this church is about to die, and Jesus tells them, if you will overcome, then your name will forever be written in the book of life. Notice his emphasis on names. Look back with me. Jesus says, you have a name, verse one. You have a name that you are alive. Uh, he says in verse four, you have a few names in Sardis. And then he says, hey, your name will not be blotted out from the book of life. What a great assurance to those who are truly saved. There's a final note. Notice that Jesus says, I'll not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Isn't that awesome? That when we confess the Lord's name here on earth, one day he'll confess our name. Jesus said it plainly. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you. But if you'll confess my name before men, then I'll confess you. As we close this morning, I wanna invite the band forward and we're gonna close in a time of reflection and, and adoration to the Lord Jesus. But before we do that, as they're coming up, Spurgeon said something pretty powerful and it's gonna step on toes and I want it to. He said this, what shall be done with such persons as live in the church but are not of it? Having a name to live but are dead. What shall be done with mere professors who are not possessors. You profess Jesus, but you don't, you're not a possessor, you don't have him. Someone asked me this week, hey, what do I do with this person? I have a friend who said that they don't, they're a Christian, but they don't follow Christ. So yeah, I go to church and I have the name of Christian, but I'm not actually a follower, I'm not a practicing Christian. He's like, what do I do with that? That's a professor, but not a possessor. Spurgeon says, what shall become of those who are only outwardly religious, but inwardly are in the gall of bitterness? We answer as good Calvin did once, they shall walk in black, for they are unworthy. They shall walk in black, the blackness of God's destruction. They shall walk in black, the blackness of hopeless despair. They shall walk in black, the blackness of incomparable anguish. They shall walk in black, the blackness of damnation. They shall walk in black forever because they were found unworthy. Is that you here this morning? Oh, that you would wake up by the Spirit of God this morning and receive life. Jesus said, I've come to give abundant life. That means the moment you stop worrying about what your reputation is and you start paying attention to the reality of your hopeless situation before a holy God and you acknowledge your sin and your rebellion and you repent and trust your life to Jesus Christ for salvation. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why, that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. Have you done this? You bring your garments this morning and you go, these are pretty clean, these are white. I'm a good person. And you offer them and God says, no, the only garment that I receive that's white is receive the righteousness of Christ, the shed blood of Jesus on 
that person's behalf. Have you done that? Have you received Jesus as Lord and Savior? In a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond in faith and receive him. Jesus said this in John 5. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This morning, that can be you. As you come and approach God, there is the blackness of your sin and you are covered, you're soiled with that darkness, that blackness. And I wanna encourage you today, it doesn't have to stay that way. You can leave today born again by the Spirit and pass from death to life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit, it's the Spirit of God that breathes life into dry bones. It's the Spirit of God who can take a dead church and make it alive. So what does that look like for our fellowship at Shoreline? This is what I would call this week the pastor's challenge for all of us. I challenge you this week, church, to look at your own life and look at areas in your walk that have atrophied. Are you exercising faith, hope, and love? Are you seeking him in prayer? Are you listening to his word, adoring him in song? Is there an area in your life that needs to be strengthened? My challenge for you is to write down what that is and then ask someone in community group or another shoreline or a friend to pray for you. Pray that God helps me strengthen this area in my life. As we close this morning, do you know the marvelous love of God in Christ? That apart from Jesus, we would all be spiritually dead. You know that. Well, you can know Jesus. We're gonna sing this song in just a moment about how marvelous and how amazing Jesus is. And we're gonna reflect on him for a few moments. But before we do, I wanna give you an opportunity right now without any distractions to respond in faith. This is the part of the service where our Christian brothers and sisters are praying that God would, by the Spirit, the Father would draw men and women. So with every eye open, every head looking around, do you have a reputation this morning of being alive? In fact, you're spiritually dead. I want you to know today that the Spirit quickens, the Spirit gives life. You can receive Jesus today as Savior and Lord. See, Jesus was alive and he died on the cross. One who was alive died in your place that you who are dead could be made alive. The great exchange. A dead man can't change his situation. He can't change his condition. He must be made alive. So this morning, you can't fix your problems by trying to be spiritual, trying to be holy. Your bank account's not only empty, it's withdrawn. You need Jesus to impute his righteousness, to credit your account and make you alive. Will you receive him? This morning, I wanna give you that opportunity. You've never responded in faith. It doesn't matter your background in church. You may have said, I've been to Catholic church for years and years and years. I've never responded. Is this a Protestant thing? No, this is a relationship with Jesus thing. Today, I implore you, I beseech you, respond in faith to Jesus Christ. I wanna give you that opportunity right now today to raise your hand. If you've never done it, you've never received Jesus publicly, I wanna give you that chance this morning to say, I wanna know Jesus, I wanna be saved. I don't wanna stand before a holy God and be sent to hell for my sin. Would you raise your hand this morning? Anyone at all? Is there an unbeliever in the house that wants to become a believer? Don't let peer pressure, fear, your family around you, well, what are they gonna think? See, the Lord looks beyond what man sees. The Lord looks at the heart. I'll give you one more opportunity this morning. Raise your hand, be bold. Receive forgiveness, receive grace this morning. Don't let pride hold you back, anyone at all. 
I'm just gonna assume this morning that we're the church, we're the body. And so I wanna give you an opportunity, church, to respond. So bow your heads with me and let's pray. Are you here this morning and you just, you're a believer, you're spiritually alive, but you're just feeling a deadening effect. Can I, can I pray for you? Raise your hand. You're a believer in Jesus. You're just asking God, make me alive in you. I see some hands going up. Anyone else? Lord, make me alive in you. It's a prayer we're gonna pray. Lord, just make me alive. Wake me up. See your hands. Thank you, guys. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we thank you that you made Jesus alive who bore our sin in his body on the tree. You rose him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Would you do the same in our lives today? Wake us up. Strengthen what remains. Lord, help us to hold fast to what we've been taught and to grow in you. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's not responded yet in faith to Jesus, that you would help them to come to saving faith today. Lord, for those who have raised their hand or asking to be made alive again, Lord, would you renew our faith? Would you help us to do what Romans reminds us to do? Lord, that we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you, not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, renew our minds today. We thank you that you'll receive all the glory and praise because you're marvelous. How amazing you are, Jesus. Be this morning, in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Shoreline Church Podcast. Visit us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 5100 Lakewood Ranch Boulevard. For more content or to learn more about Jesus, visit our website, thisisshoreline.com.